It's the Field of Vision podcast with your host, Jordan Eisen. How's it going, everybody, and welcome into the Field of Vision podcast. Joining me today is Dan Mater of Belly Up Sports, a podcast, an independent podcast a lot like mine. He's also uh, a f- ranker at Fantasy Pros like myself as well. Um, and yeah, a nice podcast over there. Uh, there there's not much to say because if you listen to this podcast, you kind of already know the gist of uh, this like independent podcast genre kind of. And just he's just another one, but he's definitely good at it. So, Dan, why don't you introduce why you even became a sports analyst? Oh, first of all, thanks, Jordan, for having me come on the show. Uh, happy to get the invite. And uh, yeah, r- really appreciate it. And glad glad to see what you're doing. And we'll see how uh, how far you're able to go. I got high hopes for you, man. Uh, yeah, what started out? I mean, look, when you come a sports analyst, it's because of a couple of things. It's you have the love for the game, obviously, but there's that point in time when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're watching football and you realize you're not just there to watch one favorite team and then move on with the rest of your day. You want to, you want to, the game really speaks to you. You want to analyze the game. You care about the other team sports. You care about the players. You care about the whole, you know, the whole analytics behind it, even if you don't necessarily come from uh, a sports background where, you know, coming from a family of coaching or athletes necessarily, it just spoke to me in a different way. And that's, that's really, I think the main reason why anybody becomes a sports analyst, it just speaks to you in a different way and you just want to know more about it. So yeah, that was probably pretty much the same thing for me. I kind of had that moment when I was a child uh, that I knew I wanted to have something more in the sports world. Started this podcast uh, back in 2017 or, 20, or late 2017, early 2018. Before that, I was a writer for Bleacher Report. And before that, I was on uh, Z88.9, a sports radio station. That was oh, that was probably like 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago now. Uh, so it's been a long history. Uh, but now going with the, the MD's Fantasy Football Show podcast, it's, uh, it's definitely been picking up. There's been some success. So very excited about it. But it's just all about the, the love of it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I kind of relate uh, when you said like, you kind of just don't only root for your home team or whatever, like um, most people do. I never, so I'm from St. Louis and during the time that I started getting into football, literally no one cared about the Rams. Like it was, they were still here technically, but like who cares? It was the Jeff Fisher era and just, it was terrible. So I kind of started without a team. I picked up on the Ravens uh, once they went to their Super Bowl and won. I started as a bandwagon, but have stuck with them since. And I mean, maybe that has to do with it, like not having a team because Ever since I've gotten into football, I didn't really care which teams were playing as long as it looked like it was going to be a good game. I was into it. And once I started playing fantasy more competitively, then I started watching every game that my players were in. And like if I had a stack of like two Vikings, then I would just watch all of the Vikings games like and not really care about the actual team, but care about the players. So that's pretty cool. I resonated with that for sure. Um so now today, let's introduce the podcast a little bit where I up until this point, I've been doing weekly recaps every single week. But at this point, I think we kind of know like which players are good, which players are not. And it's more of a like individual guessing game, like as to your specific team. So going over recaps of all the players won't really help that much. So we're just going to uh, recap some of the biggest performance biggest performances and uh we will then dive in to the main segment and i did this last year uh the players that we are thankful for at every position um i just thought that was a really interesting segment last year and it's very like uh open it's an open prompt and you can kind of take it wherever you want for different players um and i like how that turned out for me creating my roster i haven't seen dan's roster quite yet but i'm sure that that will be an interesting segment so now let's get into some of the biggest performances from last week the biggest one without a question was leonard fournette 
Uh, Leonard four net. He had four touchdowns, uh, also 41 points and 131 yards from scrimmage and seven receptions. Before this week, it looked like Ronald Jones was kind of eating into Leonard Fournette's workload a tiny bit. Not that much, but enough to make him not quite an RB1 anymore. Um, Are you back to putting Leonard Fournette as an RB1? I've got him RB7 for week 13, so I definitely am. I've been on the Leonard Fournette train for most of the year, um, basically ever since it looked like he Ronald Jones was being neglected by the Bucks, frankly. But yeah, I, I'm in on Fournette. Um, I kind of stuck with him even through the uh, like week 10 through week 11 range where people were kind of starting to doubt him. So what do you think there? I know, Yeah, once it became established that uh, Lenny playoff wasn't going anywhere to start off the season, I hadn't come off of Leonard Fournette at all this entire season, including when, you know, from a usage standpoint, it looked like Ronald Jones might be getting a little bit more work because that that comes down to context. And I talked about this on on my show when we recap it. It was the Tampa Bay at the point in the late in the game, Ronald Jones would come in for a series where he had multiple carries in a row. Where they were just trying to milk out the clock. And that game in particular that people were looking at where I think Leonard Fournette had 10 carries, Ronald Jones had seven. Where they're trying to say, you know, are they going to take away usage to keep Leonard Fournette uh, fresh for the playoffs? That wasn't going to be the case. They were throwing the ball a ton that game. It was late in the game. The game was well in hand. They gave the ball to Ronald Jones. At no point in time was it ever actually a threat when it was neutral game situation or if Tampa Bay was behind, that Ronald Jones was actually getting involved at a dangerous clip. Now, was I expecting four touchdowns last week at Leonard Fournette? No, of course not. <laughs> but it was he has not been a non-RB1 in my rankings, I believe, since week three. This week he comes in, he's RB5 for me uh, heading into this matchup against Atlanta, which you have to expect a really mm-hmm. solid performance. Even if he doesn't get the touchdowns in this one, the w- one big key for Leonard Fournette has been that Giovanni Bernard has never been able to take over the passing down role the way we expected yeah. he might when they signed him into the season. So that has established a floor along with him getting stronger within the offense. So there's no reason not to play Leonard Fournette as a mid-level RB1 moving forward. I agree. And in those weeks 10 through 10 and 11 where people started kind of getting worried, he had 9, 6, and 8 targets. And of those 23 targets, he caught 21 of them. So he's getting a lot of catches. That's seven catches per game in that stretch. That is a lot. And he doesn't do too much with the catches. He's not like Christian McCaffrey or like uh, some sort of like really uh, transcendent receiving back. But he has good enough hands. Like I I think the problem is last year when he had all these terrible drops, that was when he was running routes. Leonard Fournette does not run routes. This year, he's just been hanging out in the flat as a safety valve, and he's been catching them. Like, he can catch a flat route pass every time. Um, he will most of the time drop a drop a pass if he's running a route because he's just not that nuanced in that. But in terms of just being a safety valve, he can do it. And in, PP, in, and in PPR leagues, that really pays off, especially in this type of offense where all of your wide receivers are running deep and... Leonard Fournette is usually your safety valve. It it works. It he's been really capitalizing on this opportunity. Um, so yeah, we're both in on Leonard Fournette. Would you start Leonard Fournette or Alexander Madison in week thirteen? So that's actually kind of interesting because I do have Alexander Madison literally one spot ahead of Leonard Fournette in this one. He's my number four compared to Fournette number five. I mean. I would think you're in a situation where if you have both of these guys, you'd be able to plug and play both of these guys as top five options this week. Uh, The big key coming is with Alexander Madison, the offense for Minnesota has to go through the running game for first in order for it to work. Where with Tampa Bay, they could turn this whole thing over to Tom Brady and the passing weapons against Atlanta and get them going. Cause it's been a couple of weeks since they've been really productive and Tampa Bay likes to do that. If, if one aspect of their offense wasn't firing on all cylinders. They'd like to get them going as they move forward to the next week. So it wouldn't be that surprising if it became a Tom Brady game where with Minnesota, they have to start with the run first in order to open it up for Kirk Cousins. So Alexander Madison, who also 
when he does play in this workhorse role where he gets more receptions, more targets than Dalvin Cook actually does. So he has a better all-around game to go with the matchup against Detroit here, which is even better, believe it or not, than the matchup against Atlanta. So I do have only one spot ahead. Uh, hopefully able to plug and play both of these guys with a very close, very top end. Yeah, probably. Um, so yeah, let's move on to the next guy, Joe Mixon. He has been so good lately and he's gotten a lot of volume and that's a big part of it, but also he's just been amazing. Um, he has eight touchdowns in his last five games. That's pretty unheard of, but in week 12, he had 30 points, 165 yards and two touchdowns. I have four fantasy leagues. I have him in four fantasy leagues and it feels quite good. Um, he has been just, he might be the, oh no, Jonathan Taylor. Never mind. I was going to say he might be the fantasy MVP right now. That's not true because you've got Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Jonathan Taylor, whatever. But Joe Mixon has been amazing. Um, about how high do you think you'll, he'll go and how high would you take him in 2022 drafts? So he'll probably definitely be a first-round pick. Um, the thing about Joe Mixon is that while it has not been an issue this season, the reason why people didn't take him in the first round this past year is because of the injury concerns. So we know the talents, and we know that he is in a position to get a workhorse role. And when those two things match, you usually get yourself an RB1. But this has been the first year where he's able to put it together and been able to stay on the field. That's always been the big key. Plus, Cincinnati's offensive line has been a little bit better than uh, expected heading this game. That's also been a big key as well. And you've been seeing the Bengals really be able to pound uh, the ball down people's throats the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to stop doing that as long as that continues to be the case. So with Mixon, he's still going to be a guy that I don't think he's going to make my top five. He'll be inside my top 10 because you're still going to deal with the injury risk. But it's going to be interesting in 2022 at the running back class because now you're going to be entering a situation where a lot of the top running backs, at least the guys who have been the top running backs for the past few years, are going to be entering that season coming off of injury. Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook now, Galvin Kamara. So you have a lot of guys who are going to have to question about their injury history. And Ezekiel Elliott maybe taking a full step back for Tony Pollard yeah, no going way. into 2022, He's... quite possibly. So I will be interesting to see where Mixon winds up on my board. Uh, but it may be the young guys like the Najee Harris's of the world. They get Travis Etienne back next next year. Uh, it may be those guys who might be moving up into the draft board. Javante Williams with no Melvin Gordon comes to mind for first rounders next year. So it'll be interesting. I'll have in my top 10, though, probably a first rounder. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who I'd rather have over him. I would not take Kamara. I would not take Najee Harris. Uh, I... Would debate Austin Eckler, but I think I'd rather have Joe Mixon. So that leaves like Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook. I wouldn't rather have Saquon nor Zeke. So it's Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor. That might Derek, be it. It would be Derrick Henry for me. Too. Oh, Derrick Henry too. Sorry. Yeah, I was forgetting about him. So he's top five for me, arguably. I am really into Joe Mixon. Always kind of have been. Um, he just profiles as a really good running back, and it's finally paying off. Um, sure he has been injured before, but I don't know if I think of him as injury prone, like all of his injuries before have been a little, uh, like not luck because it's bad luck, but like accidents rather than like soft tissue stuff that just like, repeats. yeah, it's been the ankle. It's been the ankle. It hasn't been soft tissue injuries necessarily. It's been, it's been the ankle. Um, and that's always a kind of a key with the running backs. I, I would definitely say Joe Mixon leading up into the season, had to be considered as an injury-prone running back because okay. he had not been able to finish a regular season up until that point. Uh, not that I thought he couldn't do it, but it is good that he has a soft. It's not a soft tissue issue, which typically can lead to you having an easier time recovering if you get the opportunity to do so. Okay, yeah, I, injury proneness can definitely be debated because it's not just like something a stat you can look at. It's extremely subjective, but he definitely has dealt with injuries. That's not debated but um i have confidence in him going forward for sure um now let's talk about cordero patterson real quick and he's just I, we all know the deal he, when he's on the field he's been amazing he, last week he had 16 rush attempts for 108 yards 27 receiving yards and two touchdowns 
He scored 27 fantasy points. He's just been insane. Like I'm ranking him as my RB four and my wide receiver. It's pulling up six this week. Like it sounds stupid, but I've been ranking him high for a while. It took me a little time to buy in, but ever since I bought in, I've been ranking him as like a top 10, top seven player at each position and it's paid off every single week. So I see no reason to stop now. He's just been really good in the offense. He's the only thing working on that offense. He gets a lot of work, not really for a like workhorse running back, but in terms of just a wide receiver, he gets more touches than basically anyone else. So if you think about it like that, then he could be a top wide receiver. And the top wide receiver, if you think of Justin Jefferson as being a running back, I'd rank him RB4 or something like that. So I'm excited about Cordero Patterson. I think he's a must start for the rest of the season. I'm just curious if you are as hyped about him as me. Well, he's definitely a must start for the rest of the season. He is the Atlanta offense. Uh, that that much has been proven from the time that he missed that one Thursday game, and just just from that alone and coming back and what he means to his offense this year. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I don't rank him as a wide receiver, um, just because oh, okay. on all platforms. He is a running back. I know Yahoo, or I don't even think it's Yahoo. There's one platform I know out there that he is a running back slash wide receiver, uh, but I only rank him as a running back because most platforms only have him listed as one. But he's been a top 12 running back for me ever since week three. I believe and he's he's number 12 for me heading into this week. It's still a tough match against Tampa Bay. The key is going to be, does Atlanta decide to attack the edges or not? If they do, Cordo Patterson will be fine. The volume will be fine. The receptions will be fine. I'll just be curious to see what his overall efficiency on the ground winds up being. But uh, yeah, Cordell Patterson's a must play. He's a low end RB one at minimum every single week. Yeah, he's so good. And I don't even want to talk about it because this can really spiral. But (laughs) just give me like an estimate. Where is he going in 2022 drafts? I didn't even plan on asking this question. but I was thinking about it after talking about Joe Mixon. And I have no clue. He's also really old. Like he's like 30 or 31 right now. Uh, yeah, but he's used differently. Uh, yeah. He, he's so, not, they don't use him to smash him up the middle or anything like that. True. But if a wide receiver is becoming 30, remember a couple years ago with, oh my God, Julio Jones, like he was turning 30 and it was like, uh, this kind of old, I'm getting a little scared. And then it did go downhill. Now, it doesn't always, but he is older. That's something he, this is a huge breakout kind of out of nowhere, but he's also, it's not just a random breakout. It's him being used differently. So there's like something to point to, but like, is he a second rounder? I don't want to take Cordero Patterson in the second round, but like he might deserve it. I don't know. What are you thinking? So it's really interesting with Cordero Patterson. I was actually kind of thinking about this the other day. Uh, first of all, he hasn't been utilized much in his career. So while he's an older player, he has the usage of a 25-year-old. Having said all that, I typically do not like journeyman players who have one big blow-up year and then get paid because that's what's going to happen. They're going to have to wind up paying Cordell Patterson and then feel obligated to utilize him. Defenses tend to catch up. With Cordell Patterson, we're not going to know right now where he's going to be because this offseason is going to dictate what is going what the circumstances are going to be what i mean by that is mike davis is going to be gone they're going to bring in another running back to complement with cordero patterson he's not a guy you're going to give 20 plus carries to in a game so it's going to depend on who's that running back that you're bringing in who's the quarterback because matt ryan might not True. be there next year so atlanta's in an interesting spot where they might be doing a complete rebuild if you're getting rid of matt ryan there's no good franchise quarterbacks this season this is a team that really might be on the cusp of turning into the jets um so with cordell yeah. patterson right now it's 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 too early to tell where he's going to be my guess is that he's going to wind up in that running back dead zone area between rounds four and eight, somewhere in there. And it's just going to be a matter of, okay, what's the circumstances around him? What's the personnel around him? And do we believe Arthur Smith is going to be able to utilize him the same way 
uh, that he was able to this season and keep that going because this is the first year we've seen it. And typically speaking, when you have journeyman players having one breakout season, it doesn't tend to continue. But I've always loved Cordell Patterson's talent. I'm glad he's getting utilized in a way that he can be productive finally because I always thought he was a talented football player. But this could be a, a one-year wonder. Yeah, perhaps. But let's just say everything stays static, like just for the sake of this exercise. Everything that we started out this year, Calvin Ridley comes back to. Everything is the same. Where would you rank him then? He would probably be somewhere in the 18 to 24 range uh, if this came okay. out that way. Just just be, again, going off of some other running backs going to have to come back. Yeah, and yeah. Other stuff is going to happen. I, so, yeah, um, he would probably be somewhere in the 18 to 24 range. Let's say they brought back Matt Ryan and everybody else involved and it didn't change too much. Yeah, okay. I I don't know if I would pick him there because there are definitely safer, safer options available. But I don't know. He's been really good this year. Um, so now let's talk about some guys who were not good in week 12. Jalen Hurts headlines it. I don't know if you can really say too much about it because we all kind of saw it coming at some point. Uh, he scored seven fantasy points, 129 pass yards, and three interceptions. The Giants stopped the Eagles' run game, and then Jalen Hurts was deemed pretty harmless. Um, so, I mean, you keep on starting Jalen Hurts, right? I've never been a fan, but you have to rank him as a QB1 still, correct? Yeah, 100%. He's a top-five quarterback. Look, this... That game, that is just something that comes with the territory of a Jalen Hurts. But look at the consistency rate this year for quarterbacks in general. Jalen Hurts is still the most consistent quarterback on the season for his top 10 finishes so far this season. I love Jalen Hurts from a fantasy football standpoint. He's definitely not the franchise future for the Philadelphia Eagles. There's no doubt about that. But from a fantasy standpoint, this guy will be more consistent than not. And maybe he plays today. Maybe he doesn't. But Jalen Hurts, yes, you have to keep firing him up, starting him. You love his playoff schedule. He gets Washington twice and the Giants mixed in there. You can't you can't ask for much more than that. I'm looking at my rankings right now, and he's not in it because he's out for Week 13. But I think I would rank him QB 12. I've I've been hesitant the whole year. Actually, QB 11. Sorry, just above Kirk Cousins, just behind Joe Burrow. I have been really scared about Jalen Hurts this whole year, and. I think that these games where he kind of busts like this could keep on happening every once in a while. Like, I just think he's been really not lucky, but like he things have really just fallen his way through that stretch of 20 point games. And like just from here on out, it's not like his games going forward are dependent on his games in the past. I think every once in a while, sure, you'll get like, a 25 point game and then you'll get like a 16 and then you'll get like a 10 and it'll just cycle through that. I think all of those have the same uh, probability of being the outcome of a Jalen hurts game. And that really scares me. He's still a fantasy starter. I would look towards someone else though. I, and it's not only this game that scared me, this game just showed like, okay, he can bust some weeks when, things go wrong for the Eagles because that hadn't happened. The only other time he really like busted busted was in that 44 to six point point win over Detroit. So that this past week just showed another way that he can kind of fail. Um, I definitely like, I understand looking at the point outputs and just thinking, okay, it's happened enough times that I trust that it's going to keep on happening. I don't trust it still. and. Maybe that's going to end poorly because it hasn't really worked out for me up until this point. But I don't know. I, I have an eerie feeling about Jalen Hurts down the stretch. And Washington's defense has gotten a lot better. New York just figured them out. Um, I I think it could go pretty bad. Um, yeah, I'm not with you on that one there, but we'll see yeah. exactly what happens. I think he's been an interesting case to follow the whole year. He... I don't know, I because I could see him becoming a good player. Like at the beginning of the year, it was like, okay, this kid's hopeless. He's just a running chicken with its head off. Um, and 
Like, this will never become of anything. And then he started looking really good. And this week he was terrible. But other than this week, he's been really good. Um, So maybe he will turn into something. I'm not, like, I'm not ruling that out at all. Just right now, I am very pessimistic. Um, Now, Saquon Barkley's also been really bad. His is definitely because of injury and situation. I, I would like to think he's still a good player, but... I don't know. He's still on fantasy players rosters, though. Where would you rank him? I have him as RB15, right behind David Montgomery and James Conner, right ahead of Ezekiel Elliott and Sony Michelle, presuming that Daryl Henderson misses. Yeah, I have him at RB16, so I'm kind of right in the same territory with you as far as this week goes. Saquon Barkley right now, you don't expect him to be the top five running back that he was. He doesn't have the burst. He doesn't have quite his legs under him. It's kind of a lost season in, in a lot of ways. He's trying to come back from the ACL injury, picks up a fluky ankle injury on a weird play, and it just kind of hindered him further. But the volume's going to be there. One of the big reasons they fired Jason Garrett was because they wanted to get their playmakers the ball more. Even if it doesn't mean necessarily the offense goes off or anything like that, they wanted Saquon and Kenny Galladay in particular to get the ball more down the stretch to see what they have moving into 2022. So volume, especially volume of the passing game with no Sterling Shepard and no Kadarius Toney, will keep Saquon Barkley as a very safe RB2. And we did see him against the Saints earlier this year when he got a couple of games under his belt and he got his legs back a little little bit. He started to make some big plays here and there enough to be back to being a low end RB1. So I think the, the potential is definitely there for him down the stretch. But as long as he's healthy and out there, the volume alone will keep him as a mid-level RB2. Keep in mind, Devontae Booker was a very valuable fantasy asset. There's nothing special about Booker other than just volume. That's a good point. Um, so now let's just say Saquon Barkley rushes for 100 yards, catches five balls for, I don't know, like 40 yards and scores a touchdown, like has a really nice game. And it's like, OK, this is retro Saquon. Would you rank him as a top seven option next week or are you still going to remain a little hesitant in that situation? I mean, potentially. Everything always fluctuates from a week-to-week basis based on matchup and, and where a guy's usage is from the week before. Uh, will he probably be in my top 10? That I would probably guarantee. I can't guarantee definitely be in the top 7. But okay. there's a good chance he would be given what running backs are out right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Now, okay, this one everyone needs advice on. DK Metcalf. Last week, he had two points for 30 in 13 yards. It was really bad that Seahawks offense is just garbage right now they have like the fourth overall pick if they weren't trading it to the Jets they're the worst team in the NFC in terms of record it's just such a mess and that offense is broken um I don't really have a prognosis Russell Wilson is definitely a big part of it but not the only part of it everything just looks terrible um so DK Metcalf do you have to start him? I don't think so. I think you do. Um, he's too talented of a player, and for him, it only takes one play. I think you're going to see, unfortunately, because I'm playing against him in several leagues that I'm on the brink of making the playoffs this week. I think you're going to see the squeaky wheel get the grease this particular week. They have been mentioning all week long how they got to get more of an effort to get DK Metcalf the ball. It's been ridiculous, and it has been. The problem has it, Russell Wilson's been off his game, of course, and all year, even before the injury, he's been off his game. The biggest issue is that this is the slowest pace offense in the NFL. Until that changes, I don't believe DK Metcalf can be a wide receiver one, but I have him as a wide receiver 17 this week. There's no way you're not starting him as a wide receiver two in my mind. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I do have him. I have him really low. I'm scared. I have him as wide receiver 27 and that sounds terrible i think i have to move him up to be honest um i'll put him as wide receiver let's put him right there wide receiver 21 i i don't know if you have good wide receivers you can bench him but i guess in some leagues that will be tough I, I mean, depending upon what you've stumbled upon over the off season, over the course of the season, who knows? But where you draft the DK Metcalf, I'd be hard pressed to find teams that are going to have better receiving options. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, it's just it's really scary because he can 
bust any week. Um, and it's he's been he's been not great, and the offense just isn't incorporating. If those reports that you are citing were true, then that's definitely a good sign because he has not been doing his potential has not been unlocked this year whatsoever. So maybe if they start trying, then maybe he'll be able to do something. But I don't know. I want to see it first, kind of. I if you can find a way around starting DK Metcalf, I would do that and bench him until something good happens. I would revisit um, this after the San Francisco game because he has a long history of lighting up San Francisco, which is the other reason why I'd be confident against him uh, playing him this week. But if he doesn't do it this week, then it would be something interesting to kind of revisit. Okay, yeah. Uh, now, Mike Williams, he's been bad for a while. He had one game, one good game in there. Is he just back to being like the old Mike Williams where it was like, yeah, he can score 20 points some weeks, but for the most part, he's going to stick around seven. Are you, are you back there, or is there still some upside that you saw early in the season? Yeah, I, I've been ranking him consistently as a mid-level wide receiver three after he had that good game a couple of weeks ago. That was around people's trade deadlines, and I was begging people in the empty space football show to sell him high while they had the opportunity to do so. The problem with Mike Williams... They have gone back a little bit to the beginning of the season when they were using him in a full route tree, a little intermediate, short. He's not just going deep. He went through a stretch there. Well, they went back just using him as a deep ball decoy, and that was pretty much it. They've gotten back to he's allowed to be a little bit more involved in other areas of the field. The problem is, is that this offense is now getting the tight end unit involved between Jared Cook and Donald Parham. They are getting more targets than they were in the beginning of the season. That has taken directly away from Mike Williams because Keon Allen's kept his targets. Austin Eckler's kept his target share. It's Mike Williams that's gone down as the tight ends have begun to grow. As long as that continues to be the case, and Mike Williams is not allowed to operate as a 1A, 1B when it comes to the target share with Keenan Allen like he was earlier in the season, he's going to have to depend on that big play on that touchdown. So, yeah, he's a mid-level wide receiver three for me. Okay. I I still have hope, or at least after this year, maybe he leaves the Chargers and something good happens because he's such a talented player. It just has never happened. It looked like it was going to happen, and I was so excited. And then it just kind of fell flat. I do have him ranked as wide receiver 22. But even before this season, I was just huge on Mike Williams um, and just always ranked him highly even before this breakout or like mini breakout. So I I just am going to keep on ranking him at about this range just because that's what I would have normally done because he just has insane potential every week. And the players behind him are not anything special either it's like hunter renfro uh devonta smith without jalen hurts tyler lockett like it's those aren't guys that i'm that excited about um so i think wide receiver 22 for mike williams is fine but i'm benching him in a league my wide receivers are insane it's definitely not the norm but like um if you can bench mike williams i think that is totally fine I want to add uh, this point in too, just real quickly. Yeah, um, the other aspect too is that the Chargers, beginning of the season, were top five in tempo, pace of play, but now they have drifted back into the bottom fifteen, and that's another reason why we've seen the overall play, the overall offense in general for the Chargers, kind of take a dip. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so maybe they'll pick it back up because that was working at the beginning of the season, and their offense has been kind of lackluster recently. So maybe they have to rethink some things chargers um all right so now we are going to take a quick break for an ad and we will be right back with the players that we are thankful for and we are back all right so the players we are thankful for i just want to really quickly review my last my roster from last year um just as kind of a lead into our 2021 lists and so my roster from last year Quarterback was Justin Herbert, and I kind of took this in a way like, wow, I really like watching these guys play, and it's just a lot of fun to watch them play. So Justin Herbert was my quarterback, Alvin Kamara running back, Nick Chubb with Kamara, then also Keenan Allen at wide receiver, DK Metcalf, uh, Deontay Johnson, 
as the third wide receiver. That's kind of weird because I don't remember liking Deontay Johnson last year, but okay. Um, then at tight end, I had Travis Kelsey, but that sounded like a cheat. So I put Noah Fant, but tight end was just so unexciting and terrible. It was It's so much like people keep on talking about how terrible tight end is this year. I remember so clearly how bad it was last year. Like there was no Zach Ertz to pick up to pick up off the waiver wire. It was just no one. And this year we have some guys that I think we should be thankful for. That's kind of a foreshadow to later. And then at my flex, I put Mike Williams because as we just talked about, I've always like watch, liked watching Mike Williams play and just thinks he always has a chance to break out. Um, so now let's get into our rosters for this season. Uh, we aren't doing two running backs, three wide receivers, or flex. It's just quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Um, so now, Dan, why don't you kick off with the quarterback you are most thankful for? Well, it's funny because we talked about him a little bit earlier in this show. I am most thankful for Jalen Hurts. I was able to draft him very late in a lot of my leagues with the anticipation that he would be kind of the next Kyler Murray. Now, I know he didn't have the same kind of ceiling as Kyler Murray heading to this season, but he's just that guy because he can run all the time. And they're in situations, especially earlier in the year, where he's going to get a ton of passing volume, too, due to the game script of what's going on. So the volume, plus you know he's a guy who's always going to give you that floor starting off the game with the rushing attack. Jalen Hurts, somebody I was able to draft late and still get top five quarterback production for the season, which allowed me to go in a lot of different directions. So I was right on my Hertz call and I have him in a lot of my leagues and I've definitely been thankful for him. Yeah, for me, I'll take Lamar Jackson. Um, this is definitely Ravens bias right now because I'm just thankful that my team has a quarterback. There are so many teams <clears throat> that are really struggling at quarterback and it feels so good knowing that I have one for quite a few more years. And he doesn't seem to be slowing down either. And in addition to that, I think any NFL fan can agree when he's not throwing four interceptions in a game, he is so fun to watch. So not only having a quarterback that like is on my team, but also when I watch my team's games, just having a blast watching him, I am so thankful that for that, like genuinely, it makes Ravens games fun for a while with Joe Flacco and it was just Flacco and defense. That sucked. Like they were good in making the playoffs, but like it was not fun to watch. Lamar Jackson has made the Ravens fun, and I love that. Um, do you have any comments on Lamar? No, I love Lamar. I've always been a big fan. I was a big fan of his in Louisville. Um, college wise, I'm I'm from Rutgers. I I, lo I love Rutgers football, but this was when Louisville was in the Big E. So we got to see them every single year. And I knew Lamar Jackson was going to be a very good quarterback. I was very disgusted when people tried to talk about him being a wide receiver and not yeah, a quarterback. So when the, when the Ravens trade up to get him in the first round, I was very happy. I thought that was the best place that he could have wound up because I knew that they were a team that were going to be willing to build an offense around him. And they have, and he's been able to prove everybody wrong. And he's been a phenomenal quarterback there for them. So I, I love Lamar. I'm a big fan. For sure. Uh, who do you have as your running back? My running back is Joe Mixon. Uh, this was a guy that I have been burned by in the rankings. I've been very excited by the past couple of years. And I was going into this season with the hesitation of like, okay, I'm going to rank you in my top 12 again, but I need you to come through. Otherwise, I'm going to look like a fool. And uh, he is this year, obviously, as he's number three running back on the season thus far. So Joe Mixon, very thankful for him. Thankfully, he finally is in an opportunity where he's able to stay healthy and show what he can do. I definitely could have picked Joe Mixon for this. I think I even thought about it because, as I mentioned earlier, I have him on all four of my teams. So, like, I was pretty excited about Joe Mixon um, heading into the season and then he has also helped my fantasy teams in many different ways. And yeah, I also had him as RB12, and I am very glad that it has paid off. And I'm excited what he does in the in next year, too, because I think that this can certainly continue, as we talked about earlier. Uh, my running back is Daryl Henderson. In this one, I, I like Daryl Henderson. I like the Rams. I think they're a fun team to watch. But this one is really just, thank God I was right on this one. Because, okay, so I reference this a lot on the podcast. I have a list of the um, of my top 10 fantasy must-haves 
before every draft season. And so this year it went so poorly. And this is the list I like think about the most and like uh, reference the most often, like, cause it's all encompassing. Like these are the guys I want in every single league. And it went really bad. Brandon Ayuk was my number one. DJ Moore, Gus Edwards, Trey Sermon. <laughs> Michael Pittman went well. Cortland Sutton was bad. And then Daryl Henderson was correct. Um, I I am just so glad that there's one dub on this list because everything else went really badly. Um, and then after Daryl Henderson is Antonio Brown who looked really smart, by the way. That that looked like a really good call, but obviously it's been derailed. Javante Williams, he hasn't fully taken over the backfield, but my thought process was right on him. Um, and then Aaron Rodgers, that's been pretty good as well. So I'm just really thankful that Daryl Henderson proved me right um, and made this list not look completely stupid, at least, because it could have gone really, really bad. Well, I mean, hold on, because Brandon Ayuk might turn this thing around the second half of the season. Maybe, you, but say, with, with saying that I'm saying that I want to take Brandon Ayuk at 43 overall is not like that was no. a bad call. <laughs> Your process was not wrong. This was a guy that w- w- nobody expected him to suddenly be in the doghouse to start the season for absolutely yeah, no exactly. reason. Yeah, exactly. It was and, a. Uh, Weird. I'll clue you in. I'm a 49ers fan who uh, hates Kyle Shanahan because of this reason, because he does this to his players on a, on a consistent basis. So don't beat yourself up too much on 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 that one. Yeah, I like Darrell Henderson a lot. Um, he was a guy that I thought was very talented coming out of Memphis uh, when he was paired up with Tony Pollard. So I was very confident that he was going to at least be an RB2 once the news about Cam Akers came out. The only question was going to be, was he going to be able to stay healthy enough? And he, he has. For the most part, he's been able to stay healthy enough be put in that position to do it. Uh, it's it's yeah. going to probably be a one-year wonder, unfortunately for him, because once Cam Akers comes back, he will assume that job. He's just he's just a little bit more talented, a little bit more what Sean McVay and that offense is going to look for. I'll be interested to see if Darrell Henderson winds up moving on in the offseason potentially and getting an opportunity somewhere else. But uh, yeah, we're we're both right there. I had Henderson as a top twenty back heading into the season as well. All right, who's the wide receiver you are thankful for? Uh, mine's Tyree Kill, and it's it's simply because of this. He is the only elite receiver that you drafted as a top three receiver who's been a top three receiver. I mean, keep in mind, Devontae Adams, he's number five, but the touchdowns have not been there, so he hasn't been the number one guy that you really wanted him to be. Uh, so in a year in which receivers, for the most part, honestly, have disappointed from where you drafted them, to have Tyree Kill be where he was supposed to be in spite of the fact that the Chiefs offense has been vastly disappointing for most of the year uh definitely thankful for for that (laughs) yeah i i mean also in addition to that another reason to be thankful for tyree kill is when you put on and not as much this year sadly but usually when you put on a chiefs game he's just insane to watch like last year i put alvin Kamara as my running back i'm thankful for and it's just because when you watch saints games last year they were pretty gross not as gross as this year but they were pretty disgusting but when alvin Kamara got the ball he just looked really different and was so fun to watch it's kind of the same thing with tyree kill um he's just insanely fast and it's just really fun to watch someone be that ridiculous um my wide receiver is Debo Samuel, and this kind of relates to the Brandon Ayuk thing because the reason I put Brandon Ayuk as my number one must-have was because I was like, I think this kid can like actually transcend the game. Like, Whereas Debo Samuel is more of a running back that just kind of plays wide receiver, I think Brandon Ayuk is a running back is a wide receiver that plays wide receiver but can also play running back. Like, I thought Brandon Ayuk could do everything. And just like completely changed the game of like what a utility player is. And in that sense, that call was like a completely spot on because it didn't happen to Brandon Ayuk, but it happened to Debo Samuel for sure. And Debo has capitalized on that and better than Brian. Like I was really high on Brandon Ayuk as a player earlier in the season, but Debo Samuel this year has completely legitimized that like he's doing things that Brandon Ayuk cannot do just because he's obviously a better player at this point. But yeah, yeah, 
it's just it's the same thing with the Alvin Kamara Tyreek Hill. When you watch 49ers play, it's not that fun. But then Debo Samuel gets a flat route and runs two people over and continues sprinting for like 70 yards and a touchdown. It's just like that is a highlight play. Everything Debo does is amazing, I think. Yeah, he's been he's been excellent this season. Um, as a Niners fan, I'm hesitant with Debo Samuel because he's a guy that I don't know if I can ever really fully trust he'll ever be over the soft tissue injuries to consistently be out there on the field. In fact, moving forward, I'd rather have a Brandon Ayuk dynasty-wise on my team than a Debo Samuel because I know he is that player, and now that he's shifted out of the doghouse, now he's getting back to being utilized. I have more faith in him being available on the field, and I think he can do a lot of the same things that a Debo Samuel can do. Uh, it's kind of to your point. Uh, but yeah, he's been excellent this year. He has been a lot of fun to watch. He's made a lot of big highlight plays, so there's no doubt about that. I just kind of wonder how long he'll be able to hold up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, so now who is your tight end? My tight end is uh, Mark Andrews, and uh, I was a lot higher on Mark. I shouldn't say a lot higher, but I felt like I was higher than the consensus on Mark Andrews. A lot of questions this year. Oh, they drafted Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown. Is he going to take the next step up? Is Andrews going to take a hit as a result of that? And my whole argument was no. He has been Lamar Jackson's safety blanket. He's been the go-to, and he will continue to be the number one red zone threat. And yeah, Rashad Bateman started off the year a little bit rocky due to injury, but Marquise Brown's been lighting it up. And what we saw was that Lamar is throwing the ball more. And I knew that was going to happen and come to his result. And Mark Andrews continues to establish himself as one of those go-to targets. He is the second best tight end in the league to me. Darren Waller was not being utilized uh, very well, even before the injury that we now have with Darren Waller. So Mark Andrews has been that guy, and I'm thankful that he has panned out the way that he has. Yeah, Mark Andrews, yeah, he's like the one tight end that like paid off on his draft day value. And like Travis Kelsey, if you took him in the first or early second, that has not You don't feel great about it. Yeah, George Kittle, he's been injured even when he's been on the field. He's been he's had some rough games and you took him pretty high. Uh Darren Waller, ugh, ever since week one, just pretty bad. Uh TJ Hawkinson. That didn't turn out. He has put up a goose egg once. He put up two points once. Like that's been really, really questionable as well. Kyle Pitts, you know the deal. Like they're all all of the quote premier tight ends before the season. Mark Andrews is the only one that has exceeded his draft day value. Which, yeah, that is something to be thankful for. Because if you've had Mark Andrews, that's a huge plus for your fantasy team. Um, so my tight end that I'm thankful for is Dawson Knox. And it's because look at his game log. I I don't love looking at game logs, but for Dawson Knox, I think it's acceptable in half PPR. He has scored under nine points. One, two, three, three times this season, which is just not that much for a tight end. Um, it's been a lot of touchdowns, but I don't know. It, it's, it's nice to have a tight end that you can put into your lineup. Sometimes it won't turn out, but a lot of times it will. And you can start him every single week without question. Um, he scored under five fantasy points just once. And that was uh, when he was coming back from the injury. So you weren't starting him anyways. I don't know. He, he is, I don't think he's actually good. I don't think next year he should be drafted as a like, real tight end option but as long as it lasts it i am thankful for having a tight end that you can put into your lineup somewhat confidently because there are not that many of those i could have also said dalton schultz here or rob gronkowski or zach Ertz, but um yeah dawson knox ever since he's kind of caught on has not really stopped yeah, Dawson Knox, he's been a guy that I have been on for a long time. I think he is very talented. He's very athletic. And I think he would have broken out last year had he been able to be on the field. Uh, that's really the only thing that's derailed him earlier on in his career is that he has, he's been injured. But this is a very talented guy on an offense that throws the ball a hell of a lot. And outside Stephon Diggs, 
they have some nice weapons. They you know have some nice players in Cole Beasley. They have some nice players in Emmanuel Sanders. You got a nice player in Gabriel Davis. But Dawson Knox really truly could be that second dynamic mismatch along with Stephon Diggs four years to come in this offense. So I'm big on Dawson Knox. He will be, I can guarantee you, he'll be in my top seven next year when it comes to tight ends. Uh, he, I think he's here to stay. Maybe. I, top seven's a little tough because some of these guys have underperformed, but you have Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, uh, TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts. I think all of those guys will be, Kyle Pitts could change based on his situation, but you have all of those guys. That is one, two, three, four, five. That's five players definitely over Dawson Knox in my mind. And then Gronk definitely could be if he sticks around. Um, Dalton Dalton Schultz, Zach Ertz. If Zach Ertz gets an extension with the Cardinals, he is skyrocketing for sure for me. Um, I, I don't know if I can go top seven, but probably top ten. If he goes high enough in drafts, I'm not taking him but as long as this lasts i agree that yeah dawson knox has been a bright spot at the tight end position which is something that there is not very much of these days so i'm thankful for him um all right that about wraps everything up thank you so much for joining me today it was a a pleasure talking with you um do you want to tell the people where they can find you on twitter your podcast etc yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on again, Jordan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I host the show, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're on five days a week, Monday through Friday. You can always check us out on social media at Show and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're available on every single podcast stream and now newly available on Amazon Fire TV. So just check out the MD's Fantasy Football Show app channel there as well and download that. You'll always catch the show. But yeah, we're available all the time. And uh, whenever you guys have questions, just come look us out. And uh, Jordan, I'll, I'll look to probably have you on as a guest maybe sometime in the offseason. All right. I'd be down for sure. Um, so thank you to everyone for listening. And another thanks to Dan. Um, as always, you can find me at FOV underscore sports on Instagram or Twitter. I'll talk to you next time. But until then, Eisen out. Eisen out.